It never gets easier to start some things like days. Every day there is, it has been taught to me and I have chosen to believe every day there is a sufficiency of evil with which we must deal. We mustn't fret about it. We can cast every care for things which concern us upon our higher power who does not fret if you have ever met him face to face or know his name, her name, <clears throat> its name, reality, truth, those ideas too big to chew so we swallow them whole and assume we know what truth is. So every day I'm going to do a 15-minute or so podcast without worrying about a camera and what I may look like to anyone who sees me. That way, I don't have to make a mask for each character, I assume. And I have learned that in 70 years, if you decide, say at 68, that you're going to begin to examine your life to see if there are any parts <clears throat> you honestly feel you need to give an account for, lest your children's children lose their inheritance because you did not make your claim known. So I'm making my claim. I am among that set of people who are blessed because they are peacemakers. And I am a member of a, an inclusive set, all of whom are not peacemakers at the moment, though they are all beginning to understand that may is my word. I'm not asking if I may do this. I am telling me I may do it if I will. Then I'm doing it. I'm recording a podcast where I'm talking about being old in America in 2019, considering myself a friend of Jesus, but not grasping the idea of saying I am a Christian of the sort that word now contains. Words contain ideas. And 
men don't really have ideas. I learned this from Jordan Peterson, and if I recall correctly, I did look it up, and C.G. Jung was the guy who said, ideas have men, and they come in knots. They come in tangles, very complex, twisted balls of wrong thinking, knots. And they can just knock us completely off track. We can forget totally what we were talking about and settle down and come back to this idea that in 71 years, you learn there are things you control by allowing them to be true. For instance, I might <clears throat> ask permission to have a podcast on Anchor FM. And perhaps I have asked permission of them, but they have some means whereby they're going to profit from anyone who listens to me through their medium. And that's fine. The medium itself is the message that tools such as these exist for a man of my political clout, a man of my financial clout, a man of my intellectual depth. You know, three generations from sharecropper bought my BS degree from some Christian night school. Nobody from nowhere sitting on a hill talking to my neighbor the fool about nowhere man who used to live where I live now. And we sit on my porch about every evening and watch the sun go down. This is the first week in May in 2019, and it's been a gray, gray day with its own sufficiency of evil, which has thwarted several attempts on my part to make something complete in terms of a podcast that would say this is the first professional effort after you know 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever amateur efforts that came before this this is the real thing where I say hey <clears throat> what do you think about the fact that the Hopi Indians have um, roughly 10,000 years of very accurate oral history which has probably, to a huge degree, slipped away in the past 50 years. Nevertheless, I read 
the first half of the Book of the Hopi, especially the part about Wu Wu Shim. God, what a what a cool package of ideas that these people have carried with them on their migration journey. And from them, I discovered, I uncovered a mystery that I had been carrying with me all my life that my own family has its own migration myth. And I can trace it back to 1917 when my maternal grandfather and his family moved from near Sweetwater, Texas to Parks, Arizona, near the <clears throat> western side of the San Francisco Peaks, a little bit north and west of Flagstaff, north of what would have been Route 66, but right on what was called the Abo Highway. And there are stories that came bubbling up to me around 1997 when I came into possession of a diary that had been kept by my Aunt Laura, who babysat me when I was a child. She had a chihuahua who ate cigarette butts. And she was a Mormon. And when she was 15, <clears throat> she was a passenger in a wagon train of three wagons and a couple of saddle horses. And uh, she was 15 years old and her mom, Molly Dancer, my great-grandma gave her a big chief tablet and a dozen sharpened number two pencils. Told her she was going to be the family secretary, the amuensis. She was going to record the journey so that future generations would know that in March of 1917, Mac Boyette, born in 1857, packed up his family in a wagon train that he had built, pulled by horses he had shod, whose horseshoes he had made. And he set off for Arizona, where a man of his caliber could still homestead 160 acres on the east side of the San Francisco Peaks. There's so many good stories that can come out of realizing that I was related to MacDonald Boyette. <clears throat> Discovering that MacDonald Boyette worked in the Lincoln, Lincoln County, New Mexico area area around 1878 and as he and his family were coming west to parks he made remarks to his daughter Laura she was looking out seeing what probably was a 15 year old's first flat plains desert mirage 
And she said, Papa, what's that lake? He said, well, that's, that's the lake of alkali and illusion and mirage. And cows that run on that land, they've all got the L4D brand. I rode this land a long time ago. <clears throat> Max said that to his daughter, and I can imagine him butt-weary riding that old plank. And they had traveled not too far at all. I've got the numbers somewhere. When we talk about it in the future, we'll talk about it in details, because as Laura kept this diary, she made note of things, and from those things, I've had stories grow, and I've found little trails from hither and yon that have led me to myths that grew from American soil in the hearts of poor white trash, in the hearts of men and women who came to America as indentured servants, prisoners of His Majesty's service. I think they call them palms in Australia. The ones they cleaned out the jails and they sent them to America, the refuse they didn't want. Well, there was a time when America was proud of that fact. You know, when I was a little boy and growing up, people were proud. In fact, into my 30s, people were proud of what it said on the Statue of Liberty about give me your wretched and your poor, those broken, useless souls. God gave them breath. Give them to us. We'll give them a chance. And if we can't give them a chance, this is America. We'll make them comfortable. We'll make them think they were created of equal value in the eyes of their creator with any king that ever walked the face of this earth. This is America. We the people hold these truths to be self-evident, right? We agreed. We agreed that's the republic for which that flag stands, the ones where we, the people, agreed all men are created equal in value.